Good morning, Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome, Smart on Campus. Love you guys. Glad you're connected there. Everybody that's joining us online, we're glad you're joining us there today. Uh, that clip was from a movie a while back, uh, Meet the Parents, and it's, uh, it's nerve-wracking to think you might be hooked up to a lie detector test, and that's directly connected to what we're talking about today. We're going through this series called Breaking Bad Habits, and today we're talking about the habit of lying. Before we get to that, though, I, I know everyone is, is feeling the heaviness of uh, world events with Russia invading Ukraine and all that's going on there. And I want us to take some time for prayer. Uh, in Ukraine, we have many brothers and sisters in Christ that, that are huddling together and they're praying together and they're singing praises to God even in the midst of this, but they're also standing up and defending their land. And uh, we want to be lifting them up in prayer, both the, the Christians and everybody else there in that country that's suffering the ravages of the attack right now. But I also want you to remember, we have brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia as well. Uh, we have missionaries there. We have churches that are huddling together there. There are many Russian citizens that don't want this war either who are out protesting, even though they're getting arrested, even while they protest the war and what's taking place there. So we want to pray for everybody involved here. Uh, uh, certainly our heart goes out to the people of Ukraine, but also for, for others who are suffering the consequences of choices that are being made beyond their control and what's happening there. So let's all join in prayer together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus and we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine and in Russia and other parts of the world that are going through struggle and persecution and even military attack on their country. And Father, we just pray that you would give them the comfort of your presence and your peace and your provision even in the midst of all of this. Father, we know that uh, the taking of innocent life is, is something that causes you to mourn as well. And I just pray that you would help us to offer strength and encouragement as much as we can from where we are. And that you would renew in us a sense of appreciation for the freedoms that we enjoy and the safety that we can live in uh, here in our country. And Father, we pray that uh, you would be glorified even through what looks like a terrible situation there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, leading into the message this week on lying, uh, I encourage you to follow us on social media. If you don't already, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. This past Wednesday, I posted a video where I talked about some different things in the sermon that was coming up. And in the video, we played this little game. Maybe some of you have played it before. There are variations of it. Two truths and a lie. So I told three things about myself, two of which were true and one of which is not true. And I asked people to guess which one was the lie. And we've had people guess all three of them, okay? Uh, different people guess different things, and all three of the things I said have been guessed. So I'm going to give you the answer today on uh, the two truths and a lie. So for those of you that don't follow us on social media, I want to shame you right now. Go ahead and take care of that. But, but I want to update you on what the two truths and, uh, and a lie are, right? the three things that I talked about. There's no particular order. I said uh, one is that I am the uh, a middle boy of three boys in our family that, that grew up together just a little over a year apart in age between us. And, and uh, then I said, the second one was, uh, for a short period of time, I played drums in a rock band. 
Uh, and then the third thing was, uh, I really enjoy eating mac and cheese. Those were the three things that I said. Two of those are true and one is a lie. So I'm going to reveal it right now. I've got a picture of uh, our wedding day uh, that I'm going to pull up. A good throwback here, okay? Uh, it's a faded photograph. The colors are faded. The handsome guy in the middle there getting married is wearing a mint green polyester leisure suit <laughs> for the wedding. Uh, over on the left-hand side of the photo, the first person there is my younger brother, Ricky. The next person is my older brother, Ron. So that one was true. I'm in the middle of three boys there, okay? The next thing, I briefly played drums in a rock band, and that also is true. Now, I could have pulled up a picture of the band, but instead, I did a video for you. You can, you, you can play it now. That's all right. Yeah, good. Now, sometimes people ask me, why don't you play for the church? And that's why. No, our, our band wasn't that great, and we have some great percussionists here already, and I can focus on preaching and teaching like I need to instead of playing the drums. I still play once in a while just for fun. But, uh, so the third one was the lie. I, I don't like mac and cheese. I never have. Uh, it's just one of those things. There's a funny story with that, too. When I was dating Sue Ann, just started dating her, they had me over to their house to eat. Her mom uh, served me mac and cheese, just a big plate full of mac and cheese. And I wanted to make a good impression. I had the feeling she didn't like me. Her mom didn't like me very much. I thought Sue Ann liked me okay, but, but her mom didn't like me very much. So I wanted to make a good impression. So I just gobbled it down really quick. And before I could say anything or do anything, she got up and filled my plate again with mac and cheese. And I ate that plate too. And didn't ever reveal to her till years later after we were married that I did not like mac and cheese. So you can ask my mother-in-law Lois about that uh, when you see her. But it, it, uh, it's fun to play a little game like that. But the truth is lying is not fun in God's eyes. Uh, we, if you want to know whether a habit is a bad habit or a good habit, here, here's how you determine it. You go to God's Word. You see what God has to say about it. He's the one that will reveal to us what habits He thinks are good for us and things that are not good for us. So to get God's perspective, I want to start with Proverbs chapter 6. I think this will clarify it for all of us. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning with verse 16, He says this, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. All right, so he's going to list six, no, seven things that God not only hates, but that are detestable to God. Okay, so this is a, a deep-rooted hatred for these things that God has. What are they? Well, he tells us, haughty eyes, a lying tongue. All right, he already hit it, hit it didn't he? A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community, which can involve lying as well, right? So lying is at the heart of what God hates, what God detests. 
And, and that's why it, it, you can play a game as long as you know it's a game, but, but to think lying is okay, to, to allow it to continue to be part of the habit of our lives is going somewhere that God hates for us to go. So we need to, to do better than that. Well, the Scripture tells us some other things about it. In, in John 14, remember in verse 6, Jesus is identifying himself and, and how they can follow him where he's going. And Jesus answered them in 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I don't just tell you about the truth. I'm not just giving you instructions here that are true. I am actually the truth. So if we're going to grow up to be like Jesus, truth should be the hallmark of who we are. And then uh, another passage in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 12, verse 22, it says, The Lord detests lying lips. But remember, if you get rid of a bad habit, what do you do? You replace it with a good one. He detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Trustworthy means you can trust what they say. You can trust who they claim to be. They're the genuine article. There is no deceit. There is no lie in them. So we want to be people who are pleasing to the Father, right? Who are pleasing to God. We want to be people who, if we're going to do that, if he's going to delight in us, then we need to be trustworthy people. So I want to spend just a few moments here. Uh, the first thing on your outline, I'm going to look at categories of lies. Because I believe sometimes we don't think of ourselves as liars because we don't put some of these things in these categories in the category of lying when they actually are, okay? Now, these are not, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's, it's a general list of categories, okay? The first one is deception. Uh, you, you intentionally deceive. Uh, you, you claim one thing when you actually know it's another. You put forward a false front. Uh, you give the wrong impression to someone. You don't correct it. Ephesians 4.25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. So he says, put off falsehood, put off deceit, uh, put off this idea uh, of trying to, to uh, get by with some deception in your life. And it may not even be with evil intent, but it can have evil consequences when you're deceiving other people. Well, another category that we might consider is gossip. Now, I hear this argument all the time. Well, well, everything I've told was true. All right. Well, well the Bible still condemns gossip, gossip even if it's true. But what I have found with most gossiping is that there's an element of truth in it, but there's also an element of some shady stuff that's not quite the accurate account of what somebody's talking about. Uh, some of you may remember the old show Hee Haw and the, the ladies that would sing this song and the part of the song would say, I'm not one to go around spreading gossip, so you better be sure and listen close the first time, right? <laughs> Sounds funny and it is funny in the song, but gossip is not funny at all. Proverbs 20, 19, it says, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid everyone who talks too much. Somebody just talks about people all the time. Here's what I learned a long time ago. If they will gossip to you about someone, they will gossip about you to someone too. Every single time. You can count on it. Because they are gossips. That's what they are. That's who they are. And a gossip will gossip about anybody and everybody. So if they're gossiping to you, you can rest assured they're probably gossiping about you as well. Gossip is a form, it can be a form of lying, and I don't want you to rule that one out. Another one is cheating. 
when you intentionally cheat at something, that's a lie. That, that's, that's a falsehood. That's a deception. So if you're cheating on a test, you're lying to your teacher saying that you knew the answer, right? If you're, if you're cheating on your taxes, that's the only one I'm close to saying not a big deal. But no, uh, <laughs> even that one, <laughs> you're lying to the government, right? If you're cheating on your taxes. And, and God hates lying, okay? And cheating is lying. Uh, here's another one, and we don't usually think of this so much as a bad thing, flattery. Flattery is lying. If you don't sincerely mean it, if it's not genuine, it's a lie. Even when you're doing it to try to make somebody feel good. But usually flattery is used to try to get something from someone, right? That's usually the way flattery is being used. You try to say something good about them and make them think you think highly of them, maybe more so than you do, so that you can get something that you're trying to get from them. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Flattery leads to ruin. It creates ruin, destruction. It's not a good thing. And God hates lying. And flattery is, in fact, lying. Well, there's another one that is used a lot. Uh, uh, I can count, you know, 47,829,000 examples of it. It's exaggeration. <laughs> No, I'm exaggerating. I don't know how many there are. But, but exaggeration is another form of lying. One of my uh, ones that I noticed the most that people use to, to get a point across or to get people to agree with them is they'll exaggerate this way. Everybody's mad about it. Or everybody is so excited about this. Or everybody's doing it. Here's what I've learned about people, all of us. Very rarely do all of us agree on anything, right? <laughs> Very rarely are we all together on anything, good or bad. Very rarely are we in unity on that. So that's an exaggeration almost every single time. And an exaggeration is nothing more than a lie. That's what it is. You're telling a lie when you say everybody or the whole group or whatever is mad or happy or whatever it is that you're saying, okay? Another form of lying that we miss sometimes is silence. When something's been said or done that's not right, and we don't speak up. We don't correct the lie, even though we know the truth about it. You just participated in the lie when you did that. Uh, people lie all the time about the Bible and about Jesus and about Christianity. And a lot of Christians are afraid to speak up and correct the lies. Now, sometimes it's because you don't feel confident in your knowledge or your understanding. But if you know the truth, we should speak up, right? And, and when somebody says something bad about somebody else and you know it not to be true, what should we do? We should speak up and defend the person. Even if we don't like the person, even if we're not in the same political camp or whatever, we should still not just sit back and allow the lie to be perpetrated as if it's true. That's participating in a lie as well. Well, another area that, that's a tough one, because uh, there are times when it's out of our control, but it's broken promises. Sometimes people make promises very lightly. They don't take them seriously. And a lot of times they have no intent of following through. But they'll make a promise to get somebody off their back or to make somebody feel better for the moment, but they aren't going to follow through 
on the promise. You just lied to that person. If you promised you were going to do something and you're not really going to do it, that's a lie. Now, I know there are times something is out of your control. You made a promise you fully intended to keep and something happens and you can't keep it. Well, there's a right way to handle that, right? You go to them, you apologize, you explain what happened. But if you're just consistently making promises and not keeping them, that's lying. That's just a lying way of living your life. So we've got to understand, now that's not an exhaustive list, but that's a, some categories that if you go through those categories, I think we'll all come to this conclusion. We have all sinned and come short of the glory and the perfection of God. You, you know, maybe not in that category, but what about that one? We've all sinned in this area. We, we have this part of our fleshly fallen life where we have lied in some form or another, and that makes us sinners before God, and that means we've done something that God hates, that God detests. And the goal always is when we've done something like that is to make correction then. Let's, let's make this right with God. How can we replace that bad habit, that sin, with something better where we're not continuing to do things that God hates and God detests? So for the next part of the message today, I want us to look at steps we can take according to Scripture to deal with this bad habit, this sin of lying. The first step is what we should do with any sin that's been exposed. Now, sometimes we're sinning, we don't realize it, but once we understand it's sinful, once we understand we're doing the wrong thing, the first step should always be repent. Every single time, repent. Whether it's one of the other habits we've already talked about or this one with lying, when we, ha we know it's exposed to us and we're aware that we've done it, the first step is always to repent. Now, repentance is sometimes misunderstood as just feeling sorry and saying you're sorry. Now, that's a start, and that's the beginning of the process of repentance. But repentance is more than just feeling bad and being sorry, being sorry you got caught or being sorry somebody got hurt. That's, that's part of it. But repentance means to make a turn or a change, okay? The very word repent means to, to turn and go a different direction. So when we repent, it means Yes, I'm sorry. I want forgiveness. I want grace and mercy in my life, and God's ready to give it to you. But then it means I'm not going to willfully choose to go on doing this anymore. I'm going to treat this thing now like an enemy that I'm trying to keep out of my life instead of continuing to welcome it into my life as if it's a friend that's welcome there. I'm going to treat this like an enemy. So lying needs to be treated as an enemy to us when we truly repent of lying. And we're not intentionally, willfully going to choose to go on lying. Doesn't mean we'll never mess up again. Doesn't mean we'll never make a mistake again. But it means we're not going to choose to think that's okay. We're not going to intentionally go that direction anymore. That's repentance. So we got to start there. And that's true with any and every sin in our lives. Repentance is the first step. Acts 3 verse 19, it says this. Repent then and turn to God. Now there's a reason for that. He wants you to come to Him and confess and repent because he wants to respond to it, okay? And a lot of you think when you go to God with your sin, what he wants to do is condemn you and punish you. But you need to read scripture more carefully. Here's what it goes on to say. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be what? Wiped out, and not just that, that times of what? Refreshing may come from the Lord. You see how God wants to respond to your repentance? 
your confession of sin, your honesty about your sin, your, your decision to try to choose to turn from sin. He wants to not only remove the sin, but he wants to refresh you in your life, give you a, a, a refreshing of energy and excitement and a weight taken off of you as part of the picture in that word there where you've been carrying this weight around and it can be taken off your shoulders. You don't have to bear that weight anymore. And, and you feel lighter than you did before because you've dealt with this before God and God has responded with his love and his grace and his mercy. It's a wonderful process, this repentance and how God responds to people who are repentant. You should never be afraid of God's response when you're repenting before God. It's always going to be a, a, a response of mercy and grace and refreshing. So the first step is to repent. The second step, and sounds simple, but it's not, practice controlling your tongue. I use the word practice for all of these habits, right? How do you learn a habit? You do it over and over again. Well, how do you unlearn it and replace it with another one? By doing something different over and over again, practicing something different. So we need to start practicing controlling our tongues, not just with lying, but with everything, but, but, but especially with lying. We need to practice controlling our tongues. Um, the way you get better at anything is by practice. So if you, if you know your habit has been to lie, to tell a lie, and, and usually there's a motivation every time you tell a lie, all right? There's a motivation behind it. There's something prompting you to feel like you need to lie. It's either to please somebody, to keep them happy, or it's to, to cover up some mistake that you've made, or, you know, there's some motivation behind it. So you've got to be honest with yourself. What, when do I usually lie? How do I, why do I usually do it? What, what usually takes me down that path? And then as you face that again, you practice, instead of telling a lie here, what, what, what am I going to do instead? I'm going to control my tongue here. That's the first step. I'm going to start controlling my tongue under that pressure, under that situation. I'm going to do something different, and I'm going to control my tongue and use it in a different way. First Peter 3.10, it says this, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Do you love your life? Do you want to have good days in life? Then you got to practice controlling your tongue. See, God doesn't just tell us that for fun. He, he knows how life would be better for you. He made your life. He created you the way you are. So he knows how this is going to work and how you're going to have the most fun in life and the most enjoyment in life. And controlling your tongue is going to be one of those keys to having a good life now. It doesn't mean there'll never be problems again, right? It doesn't mean you're never going to struggle, but it does mean your life is going to be overall much better when you're not using your tongue to be deceitful. One of the worst ways to ruin your life is to tell lies because here's the thing when you tell a lie, then you got to remember what you told. Then you got to remember to cover it up with the next thing that you say about that. And, and you got to keep track of, of how the lie has progressed now. And you've got to always be looking over your shoulder because you're afraid somebody's going to discover that you've been lying about that. What a fun way to live. Right? But if instead, if you've always told the truth, you don't have to look over your shoulder. You don't even have to remember what you said. If it was true, you just tell the truth again, right? You don't even have to remember how you said it before or why you said it. You just, you know you told the truth, so just tell the truth again. It's going to match up if you told the truth. It's a lot less pressure on you that way as you go through life. It's a lot less pressure of, of, of trying to cover everything up and keep the lie going the whole time. And 
Here's what I know about lies. Like all sin, you can be sure it will find you out somewhere down the road. No matter how good you are at it, no matter how tactful you think you are, no matter how well you think you've schemed it all out, somewhere down the road, things come out and you get caught. So practice controlling your tongue. And one way you control your tongue is the next step. It is to practice speaking the truth in love. Practice speaking the truth in love. Some Christians have taken great pride in saying that they didn't lie and they don't lie about things. But they take great pride in beating people over the head with truth. Tearing them down, winning arguments and making people feel awful, but you told the truth, right? You didn't lie, but you've crushed some people in the process. Or you've torn up a relationship in the process. Or you, you've cut off any possibility that in the future that person will want to continue having a relationship with you or listening to what you have to say or, or an opportunity to witness for Christ to them anymore because you have so severed that relationship. But you were truthful the whole time. I heard one church member talking to their preacher and said, uh, Preacher, uh, you know, we just wanted to bring something up. We're feeling kind of bad about it, but... You know, we don't mind that you preach that sinners are going to hell. We'd just rather you not seem so happy about it. Right? Sometimes Christians seem to take great joy in condemning other people, even when it's true. It should never make us feel good to have to tell somebody the truth about their sin. That should break our heart to tell them, here are the consequences of your sin in your life. If you don't repent, if you don't seek God's forgiveness and God's grace, it should break our heart that anybody's going to be separated from God, that anybody's going to miss out on heaven, that anybody's going to suffer the consequences of hell. It should break our heart because it breaks the heart of God. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing means it's not His will. He doesn't want that for anybody. Why should we take joy and wanting that for anybody, if we're his people. It should break our heart. But here's the other side of it. When you really love people, you really care about people, then the most loving thing you can do is make sure they know the truth. Make sure they know the truth about sin, about righteousness, about God, about God's love, about heaven, about hell, about all that stuff. We want them to know the truth if you love them, if you really care about them. Because if you really care about them, you want them in heaven with you forever. If you really love them, that's what you want for them. And they need to know the truth about those things. So in Ephesians 4.15, Paul's talking about that. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love... We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Sometimes people uh, will ask me about, you know, signs of maturity as a Christ follower. There's a lot of them. The fruit of the Spirit would be a place to start, right? The fruit of the Spirit. And, and in the fruit of the Spirit, it talks about love and it talks about truth. Love, you know, true love embraces the truth and it hates that which is evil. So that, that's a connection here. And then in this verse, what he says is, when we learn 
to be mature enough to speak the truth in love, then we are maturing to be like Jesus, who is the head of the body of the church. That's a mark of maturity, to be able to speak the truth, not to condemn and destroy, but out of love. That's maturity in Christ. And so instead of getting on social media and destroying somebody's argument and feeling great about it, right? It might be better to let that person know, you know, I do disagree with you, but I love you, and, and I'd love for us to have a conversation about this because I care about you. Wouldn't that be a better place to start? Now, they may not listen. They may not respond. They may not open up the their lives to you, but I guarantee you they won't if you've just hit them over the head with the truth so hard they don't ever want to be in your presence again, right? You see there's a difference in speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love. Parents, we struggle with this, right? As parents, as grandparents, we want our children to be taught the truth. We want them to know when something's wrong and when something's right, when something's good or not good for them in their lives. And I know this, I know for me personally as a child growing up, and I know for our children and grandchildren, I've had to tell them things that were hard to say and it was hard for them to hear, just like you've probably had to do with yours if you have kids. But I know this, when they know you really love them, even when they don't respond well at the moment when you're telling them that stuff, down the road later on, I've had this happen to me, and you probably have too, if you've got older children now, adult children. They're grateful you loved them enough to do that. Now, you pray you let them live long enough to get that, right? But, and you don't always get that, because they they're not always willing to come back and tell you that, but, but a lot of kids will. And man, what a great feeling that is. That, you know, it, it shows that God was right when he said, you need to speak the truth, but you need to be sure they know it's coming from a place of love when you speak it. They need to know for sure you love them. You're not telling them this because you don't love them anymore and you're so mad at them. They, they're, you know, you're treating them like they're not even your kids anymore. That's not where it needs to come from. It needs to come from love, but they need to know the truth. And God loves us enough to tell us the truth about stuff too. But he's already demonstrated, hasn't he, how much he loves us? See, he doesn't tell us the truth without also showing us how much he loves us at the same time. You just look at the cross. You look at what Jesus did there. And you know how much your father loves you. And that's why he's telling you even the hard things for you to hear, the hard things for you to obey, the hard things for you to get changed in your life. He's telling you those things because he loves you that much. He's teaching you those things because he only wants, out of his love, what's best for you. So practice speaking the truth in love. That's the third step. The fourth step is practice accountability in your life. Again, this is something you have to practice, accountability. In order to have accountability, you have to have accountability to someone or something, right? Now, we know we have accountability to God. That goes without saying. We're, we're going to have to stand before God. We're all going to have to give an account to him. But sometimes we need more immediate firsthand accountability to keep us on track or to get us back on track, right? Even though we know we're answering to God, uh, there, there's another level of accountability that God gives us. In Scripture, he tells us, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We, we can have an effect on each other, good or bad. We, we can have this effect on each other. So if you would open yourself up to having some brothers or sisters in Christ in your life, 
Sometimes it could be a spouse, but it doesn't have to be your spouse. It can be a, a close friend, somebody you're doing life with in a, in a life group. It could be so many different options out there. But somebody that you know honors God and loves God, trying to please God themselves and wants you to do that too, you ask them to hold you accountable with this in your life. If you hear me saying something, exaggerating something, twisting something around, not saying it the way it really is, call me out on it. Not in front of everybody, but get me in private and talk to me directly and challenge me on it. It's accountability. I've got some people in my life like that. I hope you do. If you don't, it's a good step to take to have that accountability. Uh, we have an elder team where we do that for each other as elders. We have a staff where we try to do that for each other on staff, but we have other friendships and family members where we have that relationship with them where there's accountability there in how we do things, what we say and how we say it and what we do or don't do in our lives. And they have to be loving you enough to tell you that even when it's hard and it hurts. Because I don't like telling my friend when there's something they're doing that's not right, not good. I, I don't like. Do you feel awkward doing that with somebody? I do. I think everybody does. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. But it's an act of love every single time when you do that for someone. We need to be willing to have that kind of accountability in our lives. And to be reminded, as we are in Scripture, that we are going to stand before God and give an account for everything we've said or done. Now, he's there with grace and mercy and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, but we, he knows it. He, he's got a detailed record of everything we say and do. He sees it all. Nothing's hidden from his sight, the Scripture says. So there is accountability before God, but it's good to have that accountability that you're practicing on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, the last one is this. Practice integrity. All of these things lead to what the Bible would describe as integrity. Okay? Integrity is the concept of being genuine, the real deal, no falsehood, uh, no acting one way when you're really another, no, no lying, no deceit, uh, the genuine article, the real deal. You know people like that, I'm sure, that you would describe that way, person of integrity. Well, God is wanting all of his followers to be men and women of integrity. He wants us to be the real deal. That doesn't mean we, we're perfect. That's not what integrity is. It means we're real about the imperfections too, right? We're transparent with those. And we're working on those. We're being honest and working on them and trying to to make the changes we need to make. We're trying to grow. We admit that we're a work in progress, but we don't excuse our sins either as if they're okay. That's not integrity because they're not okay. God hates lying. He hates sin. And we don't need to act like it's okay. But integrity deals with the reality that, yeah, when we mess up, we need to handle it in the right way. We need to confess. We need to repent. We need to get back on track. We need to have accountability that calls us to that. That's integrity in your life. So when we practice integrity, it, it allows us to be used by God because he knows he can trust us. He can count on us to have integrity. In Luke 16 and verse 10, Jesus teaches this concept. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. But whoever is dishonest with very little will also be what? 
dishonest with much. That's just a little lie. It's no big deal. With God, it's a big deal. If he can't trust you with those little things, why do you think he would ever want to entrust you with greater things, with greater responsibility, with greater opportunity, with greater blessing, if you're not being faithful and trustworthy with what you have right now? How are you dealing with things in your life right now? Is there integrity in how you're living life? And if there's not, here's the amazing thing about our Father. (laughs) He already knew it. He still loves you, but He's not ready to trust you until you show a willingness to repent, turn back to Him, make the changes, and start showing yourself to be a person of integrity. And then He can entrust you with more. And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about life, blessings of life, opportunities in life. You know, he wants us to be his witnesses. He knows some people can have the integrity to go into a very secular setting and he can trust you to be there and still keep your integrity. But he knows some people won't. They'll just go along with whatever everybody else is doing. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you work in a very secular workplace. Have you shown godly Christian integrity in that workplace? Can he trust you there to still be the person he's called you to be? Or are you just trying to fit in with the crowd while you're there? School, same way. The marketplace and business, same way. If we want God to entrust us with more opportunity and responsibility, then integrity is how we get there being truthful and honest and having integrity in how we do life. The amazing thing is, like I said, God is so wonderful that when we know we're willing to confess, we haven't done that. If you're feeling that right now, so every time I've done one of these through the whole series, there have been more than one person say, well, that was mine this week, Pastor, right? And if you're feeling like this is yours this week, believe me, I didn't target you, but the Holy Spirit did. Because I didn't know this about anybody. I don't know this about you or anybody else. I can't judge that, but God can. So if there's a conviction on any of these things in your life, it's the Holy Spirit of God who brings that convicting through the teaching of his word. The amazing thing is, if you're feeling that right now, the best thing you can do with it is go to God with it and confess it. Seek his forgiveness The Bible says this wonderful thing about God. You know what it says. His mercies are new how often? Every morning. This morning, what's available to you right now? The mercies of God. They're right here for you today. If you're listening online, they're right here for you right now. When you go to him confessing and repenting, his mercies are new for you right here, right now. He can not only forgive you, right? He takes your sin away, but now what will he do for you? He will refresh you, restore you invigorate you, empower you to make the process of changing your life, turning it around, replacing the bad with the good. He empowers you to make that new start, that new change and how you're going to live your life. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, it begins there with that process of, of bringing yourself under Him as Lord and Savior of your life and He will 
you've not been baptized, it is a burial with Christ into the payment he made for your sins in the waters. You rise up, washed clean, made new and refreshed and empowered by his spirit to live a new life. The scripture says you are a new creation in Christ. It's amazing God can do that. He promises to do that through the work of his son Jesus for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that today we've been reminded that even though we might joke about lying and play games about two truths and a lie, we know lying. Lying's not okay. It's a sin. You hate it. You detest people who are liars. Father, we ask for cleansing and forgiveness as we come before you in repentance and confession. We thank you that your mercies are new and fresh right here for us today. We are amazed by your love. And Father, for someone here today who, who needs to take that step, not only of, of coming before you in repentance, but who need to come before you and your church to commit their lives to Christ, to follow after him, I pray today they would take that step. If they've not yet been baptized and washed clean and made new, that they would take whatever step they need to take in that process today, Father, of coming before you and beginning to walk in newness as a Christ follower. Father, we thank you that we can celebrate that even with our flaws and our failures, your love never changes. And that as we leave this place today, we can begin to practice a new and better way of living to represent you well in the world. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.